How many of y'all ever have church on Monday night? It's pretty rare. <laughs> it's good to be out. And uh, I just want to acknowledge my dear friend, Mark Hall. Where is Mark at? I'm trying to find the... Where is he at? There. Over... Oh, there you are. We love Mark. And is Lester here tonight, too? Oh, we got a two-for-one special right there. So Pastor Hall, Lester Hall, you established New Life Church. I think you established it right around the time I was born. So good job, buddy. <laughs> I just want to give a quick plug to Mark and Lester in, in New Life. When, when, um, when I first started the ministry we had here, uh, Lester was such an affirming, encouraging voice and just meant the world to me that he uh, would spend time with me. And um, I'll, never, I'll never forget that. I'm very grateful for you and for your church and for your ministry, your father and our community, and I'm grateful for it. And I'm grateful to be friends with your wonderful son, Mark. The wonderful is debatable, but we love Mark. He's a great, great man of God. Do I see any of the pastors in the house tonight? All right, cool. Well, it's great to have you guys out. I want to introduce my dear friend, Ted Shuttlesworth, Jr. And I was telling you all last night, uh, just man, he's a blessing to me. I learned from him. You know, I don't always learn from ministers, but I learned from Ted. He is a preaching machine. He's also a studious individual. I meet a lot of preachers who are not studious. So when they are studious, I pay attention. Grateful for Ted. We're going to have a wonderful, wonderful time tonight. Did you enjoy last night? I know I did. I'm hungry for more of God. How about you? Amen. Brother Ted, great to have you up. Give him a Montana welcome. Well, let's give Jesus a hand tonight if you love him. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. I'm so glad to see you on a Monday night. I can't wait to see what God's going to do. How many of you so much appreciated that worship team? Didn't they do a phenomenal job? I thank God for good worship. This church has good worship. It seems like this whole area has got good worship, and uh, it blesses me. Why? Because that is the entrance into the presence of God. I heard one preacher say it this way. He said, praise is the cheapest access into the presence of God. I heard one preacher, he preaches in the largest church building in the world. It's 55,000 seats. And they've got two tents outside that seat 40,000 more, and they have six Sunday morning services. And you're not allowed to stay over for the next one because they need the seat. And I heard him say one time, and as he was teaching and preaching, he said, you know, uh, prayer is powerful, and we know that it is. But he said, did you know that prayer can never, can never equal praise in power? He said, because God just answers our prayers, but he lives in our praise. Hallelujah. He answers our prayers, but he lives in our praise. What I found out is when we begin to praise God, the psalmist wrote in Psalm 22 and verse 3 that God inhabits the praises of Israel. He dwells in, lives in our praise. And you know what's so powerful about that is that when you begin to praise him, the Bible says not only does he inhabit our praise, but think about this for a moment. That means that when he inhabits it, we are now in his presence. You know what's powerful about that? The psalmist also wrote in Psalm 1611, in his presence is fullness of joy. Hallelujah. That'll get you stirred up right there. In his presence is fullness of joy. That means depression has to run out the back door when you begin to praise. Anxiety has to run out when you begin to praise. All of these issues that try to attack the soul of man, they have to loose their grip and let go when we begin to praise God. Did you know that when you praise God, it accesses all of the wonderful things that come from his presence? I like to tell people God doesn't travel alone. He travels with an entourage. Hallelujah. When he shows up, 
joy shows up. When he shows up, peace shows up. When God shows up, healing virtue shows up. When God shows up, deliverance shows up. And wherever he is, all of those things that travel with his spirit. You know, we, we said it a moment ago as they were singing. Uh, singing from 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 17. Now the Lord is a spirit. And where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Hallelujah. So when we come together like we are tonight on a Monday night, the Bible says if two or three are gathered together in his name, he's right here in the midst of us. And if he's here, that means everything that comes with him is also here. That means healing is here. Hallelujah. It means that blessing is here. It means that deliverance and freedom are here. Now, I'm excited. I can't wait to see what God's going to do. I can't wait. One of the things I've been praying, I said, Lord, let this be a week of divine intervention. That no matter what people have been battling in their lives, that you would blow your breath from heaven and every foul attack of the devil would be blown out of the way by the power of God. That by the time we come to the end of this week, we'll hold our testimonies in our hand in Jesus' name. Can you shout aloud, amen? Amen. And I'm just so thankful the team is here. And pastors, thank you for being here. It's an honor to have you in the service. We love you. I'm, I'm just going to tell you flat out that coming from a ministry, a ministry family, you know, uh, it, it makes me very happy to see other ministers as they come together. You know, it, it's just a blessing to have pastors in the same service as each other. I can tell you from traveling this nation and other nations that many times the enemy uh, tries to bring thoughts of you know, competition, and there's always that uh, territorial feeling. I thank God that that's not here, that we're working together for the kingdom. Amen. The unity of the brethren is important because when there's unity, there's strength. I was touching on this last night, how last year, when the enemy was really trying to emphasize all the racial tension in America, that's not for the world, that's for the church. The world already hates each other. They're already racist. They're all, they already got problems. But when the devil understands that the average church in America is a multicultural church, all those things began to rise up last year. And if people didn't keep their eye on it, it brought division into the house of God. That's what the devil wants. He wants us to stand against one another in the body of Christ. But you know what I love? I love the fact that I heard a preacher say it like this one time. He said, people don't understand about fishing with Jesus. He said, because people think fishing with Jesus is like fishing with a man. But Jesus doesn't go out using bait. He said, you know, there's some, there's some pastors fishing, fishing for white fish. Other pastors fishing for black fish. And some are fishing for rich fish. And other ones, influential fish. But when you fish with Jesus, he doesn't fish with a net or a pole and bait, he fishes with a net. And when you drag a net, you get everything that comes in the net. You get white fish and black fish and Native American fish. You get tall fish, skinny fish, fat fish, short fish. All of them jump in the net. And when you fish with Jesus, you realize that he draws all men unto himself. He said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. That's why I told you last night, I, it, Freaks people out when I say that kind of stuff, but I don't believe in white churches or black churches or Puerto Rican churches. I believe in Holy Ghost churches because, see, when you come together, I've seen that uh, actually act as a, a form of division. I, I've been in, I've seen it in the South, I've seen it in the North where people will come in. 
You say, well, don't you have your own church to go to? Well, what does that mean? Isn't the church of God for the people of God, no matter where you are? And see, one of the things you'll find is that uh, if you're not walking in unity, if you're not walking in love, it will hinder your faith from working. One of the most uh, powerful passages of Scripture that we have where Jesus is teaching his disciples how to walk by faith, speak by faith, and see things come to pass is Mark chapter 11, where Jesus tells them, have faith in God. And then he begins to tell them, if you'll speak to the mountain, tell it to be cast into the sea, and you don't doubt in your heart, then you'll have whatsoever you say. Therefore, I say unto you, see, he's teaching them how to speak by faith. We get excited, we shout about it, we have a breakthrough party. we like, my God, mountains are getting ready to move. People start dancing and running around the building, and we cut it off before we come to verse 25. But you know what verse 25 says in the same context? And when you stand praying, forgive. Thanks for all the shouts. And when you, <laughs> and when you stand praying, forgive that your Father in heaven may forgive you also. You know, I love what Paul wrote to the Galatian church. He said, faith works by love. Can you shout amen? Faith works by love. And when you walk in love, you can walk in pure faith. There's nothing that can hinder your faith from moving as you walk in love. And see, one of the things that really struck me, uh, I've heard so much teaching, as I'm sure you have, on walking in love towards each other. But do you know, if you look at the commandment of the New Testament, the first person that we should walk in love toward is the Lord. I walk in love toward God. In fact, I was looking at something Jesus was teaching in John chapter 14 and verse 21. And he said this. He said, he who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my father. And I will love him, and I will manifest myself to him. That's powerful right there. He's saying that the true proof that you love him is you obey his word. Then, you know, talk is cheap, especially in 2021. But he said this, if you truly love me, you'll obey my word. And when you do, it puts you in position to receive the manifestations of Jesus Christ. Isn't that interesting that as you walk in love toward God, it opens you up to the manifestations of heaven. Whew, hallelujah. How many ready for some manifestations from heaven? Can you shout amen? And so I came ready. Uh, if you can understand that southern term, I came loaded for bear. Hallelujah. And I'm ready to see what God's going to do. I want to say again, thank you for being a part of what God's doing this week. Thank you for being here. Don't tell me people aren't hungry for God when you could have been anywhere else on a Monday night. You're in the house of the Lord. And I commend you. Hallelujah. In fact, we have a family here. Is it Guilford, Montana? Is that where you're, where you're from? Guilford? How far is that? He passed about over 200 miles? 270 miles. My God. Would you put your hands together and welcome them from Guilford, Montana? That's awesome. Thank you for being here. It's a blessing to have you. I want you to turn with me in your Bible, if you would, quickly to Mark or to Matthew chapter 14. The Lord just started dealing with me about this, and especially with what's going on, our, on in our nation right now, with what you see going on around this nation and around the world. It's time for the people of God, like never before, to keep our eyes on the mighty word of God and not on what men are saying or what men are doing, but what God has said 
and what he is doing. Can you say amen? It's an interesting uh, passage of scripture, Matthew 14. Uh, Jesus, he finishes feeding 5,000 with loaves and fish. And I love this. We're going to start in verse 22. The Bible says, immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. And when evening came, he was there alone. But the boat by this time was a long way from the land. It was beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, it's a ghost. These are the same people that believe Elvis is still alive. It's a ghost. And they cried out. They cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, take heart. It's I do not be afraid. Now stop right there. Something that really hit me, hit my spirit is that the Bible says the wind was against them. It was fighting against the boat. The waves were beating the boat. Now, these guys were getting, uh, you know, really uh, nervous, anxious. And, and I'll tell you something that, that you should even understand. These are men that spent time on the sea. These weren't novices. These were fishermen. They'd spent time on the water. They knew what bad weather was. And if they were in a rough spot, as they were in other parts of the Gospels, it wasn't just because they were seasick, never been on the sea before. They'd spent their life making a living on the water. And here they are in the midst of a dangerous situation, and the winds against them, and the waves beating their boat, and the Bible says they're struggling against the weather. And in the middle of their struggle against that weather, the Bible says Jesus just comes strolling on the water. This gets me excited because you know what the Lord spoke to me? He said, Jesus walks on top of what would kill other people. <sighs> Jesus walks on top of what would kill other people. Jesus had pure victory over the storm. And he began to walk towards them. Notice Jesus wasn't walking away from them while they were in need. He was walking towards them. Jesus is always moving towards you to help you. No matter what's going on in this world, in this nation, Jesus has an answer by the Spirit of God for every attack of the enemy against this generation. I'm going to tell you, I heard somebody mocking it the other day. Say, oh, these Pentecostal preachers, their answer for everything is revival. Yeah, you know why? Because it's the Holy Ghost who is the highest power in the universe, higher than any government higher than any corporation, higher than any banking system, higher than the medical community. It is the power of the Holy Ghost that sets men and women free. I talked to you yesterday. I said you can't depend on men and women. You can't put your trust in flesh because they can only help you for so long and do so much. But what do you do when you get to a place where men and women can't help you anymore? What about when doctors can't help you? What about when medication can't help you? What about when there's no bailout money available to you? Can't You can still depend on the power of the Holy Ghost. And for too long, see, one of the things that I've understood about Western Christianity is that we're so blessed in this nation that we've got so many things afforded to us that many people have not had to live by faith. 
They've not had to press in and trust God because there's a CVS on every corner. We got Walmart down the street. If there's anything we need, we can snatch it up quick because we're blessed in America. And by the way, all these people that are always speaking bad about America, all these celebrities, you remember they said that? They're like, well, if Donald Trump gets elected, I'm going to another country. Notice none of them left. I was ready to help them pack their bags and move them myself, but my God, they didn't leave. They didn't leave. I was going to show up at their house with a moving truck, say, buddy, I'm ready to help you. Must not be that bad if everybody's willing to stay. Don't tell me this is a bad country to live in. Don't tell me, don't speak bad about America when you got people beating down the door to get in this country because they understand the blessing of God is on this nation because of the principles that were founded on, this nation was founded on. That we're blessed in America. And I'm going to tell you, God's not judging America. God's getting ready to bless America like he never has before. The best days are ahead of us and not behind us. God saves the best for last. Can you shout amen? amen. Oh, hallelujah. I didn't even have one Red Bull. I'm just telling you, I feel the Holy Ghost tonight because what God's getting ready to do, it's a principle. He saves the best for last. God's not judging America. Listen, you know, I heard people, these dummies. If I have to listen to one more of these preachers get on Facebook, and I say I use the term preacher loosely, if I have to listen to one more, one more of these false Facebook prophets get on and start talking about how COVID was God's judgment to a wicked America and, you know, all this stuff, I heard them saying that. COVID is God judging America for abortion. Really? COVID is God judging America for abortion? If you look at who got COVID for the most part, it was people 70 and over. They're not having abortions. They're not even having sex. Now, God bless you if you still are, but I'm just... Don't tell me God's judging America with COVID because of abortion. Oh, God's judging America. Okay, if God's judging America with COVID, he must be a bad shot. Because what do you say to Christians who ended up getting COVID? Was God judging the body of Christ for the sins of the world? I thought he already did that on the body of Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary 2,000 years ago. God's not judging his children for the sins of other people. So the fires in California, that's God's judgment on that wicked state. What about Christian businesses that burn down? What are you going to tell them? That God judged you along with the rest of the wicked people because you were in the wrong place at the wrong time. That's not how it works. Go back to the book of Exodus. Bible says that the children of Israel were living in Egypt as the plagues were happening. And the plagues fell one after the other, but not one of them touched the people of God. God knows how to bless you in the middle of a mess. And the Bible says they were standing there in the middle of Egypt and the final plague came. The death angel descended from heaven and began to stalk through Egypt in the night. And God said, if you'll just take this lamb that you've sacrificed and put the blood of that lamb on the doorpost of your home. And when I see the blood, 
I will pass over you and go somewhere else. When I was growing up, I grew up in the Assemblies of God. When I was growing up, we used to sing that song. When I see the blood, oh, when I see the blood, oh, when I see the blood, I will pass, I will pass over you. Anybody remember that song? That's a scripture. That's a scripture. We were singing the word of God that when I see the blood, I'll pass over your house and go somewhere else. That means that when that death angel, who, by the way, didn't come from hell, came from heaven because he was judging sin and he began to walk through Egypt. That means he'd reach his hand out and touch a home and the firstborn would die. Not just of the children, even the livestock would drop over dead. And he'd touch the house, and death would come to the house. But when he got to that house that had the blood of that lamb on the door, he couldn't reach out his hand and couldn't touch the family that was inside because they were inside of their covenant with God. And when you stay in the covenant that you have with God, there's not one wicked thing that can touch you or touch your family. For the power of the Holy Ghost is protecting you, and there's a blood barrier. Somebody say a blood barrier. I was, reading, I was reading that and just praying about it. The Lord said to me, he said, think about this. He said, if the blood of a natural lamb could keep a supernatural being out of their home, how much more can the blood of an eternal lamb keep every wicked thing out of your home? Let God arise and his enemies be scattered. I'm telling you, I am not going to hang my head and trudge around this nation and say, well, I remember the days of old when we had revival, brother. I, I remember when we used to have a move of the holy. I'm not looking behind me. I'm looking ahead. I, you know what I found out? It's not dangerous to just live in the past with negative things. It's dangerous to live in the past with even good things. Oh, yeah. It's, it's, even, it's even a bad move to just stay in the past, even regarding the things God has done. You should only look back long enough to recognize your testimony, give God praise for it, and keep moving forward. I'll tell you why I found that out. I was reading today in Isaiah, and God is speaking to his people. I believe it's Isaiah 43. And he says, don't you remember the things I did for you? Don't you remember I led you out of Egypt? Don't you remember I parted the Red Sea? Don't you remember I brought you across on dry ground? Don't you remember that I took out Pharaoh and his whole army? Don't you remember I buried him in the sea and brought you safely to the other side? And he's recounting these things. And then the New Living Translation says this. God says, but forget all that. Because I'm doing a new thing. Can you not see it? Oh, hallelujah. God only let him look backwards long enough to get him a remembrance of how good he'd been so they could praise him for their testimonies of old. But he said, I'm not, I don't want you living back there. I don't want you staying back there. If all they ever did was just nostalgically look back and say, oh, he was a good God when he brought us out. I can remember the revivals that my grandmother brought me to. If that's all they ever did, that's all of God's power they would have ever seen. But he said, forget all that. I'm doing a new thing. He starts pointing forward. Can you not see it? You know, our God hasn't changed. He's the same today. He said, I'm the Lord your God. I do not change. Jesus Christ is the same. 
yesterday and today and forever. Which means the same power that hit at Azusa Street at the turn of the last century. The same power that was in the voice of healing movement in the 50s and 60s. The same power that was in the charismatic renewal in the Jesus people movement. The same power that was at the Toronto Blessing and the Brownsville Revival. Is the same power that's working in 2021. And the devil can't stop what God's getting ready to do in America. I'm telling you, you ought to get excited excited because the best is yet to come I'm just telling you I didn't come all the way out to Montana to just give you three points and a poem and send you home God's got plans for Montana can you say amen plans to bless you plans to lift you up hallelujah Woo! glory to God I feel like dancing all by myself tonight I might do it. Bible says, Jesus said, take heart, it's I. Do not be afraid. Amen. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you. And he said, come. One word. And the Bible says, so Peter got out of the boat, walked on the water, and came to Jesus. Stop right there. People always give Peter a hard time. All preachers give Peter a hard time. You know, Peter was a redneck if you didn't know that. I can prove it scripturally and theologically from the text. Bible says he liked to fight, fish, and cuss. And so those three things. <laughs> he was swearing, he was fishing, he was cutting. So you know that Peter, yeah, people give him a hard time. Denied Christ. Cut the servant's ear off in the garden. Always had a loud mouth. Had a temper problem. People, but you know what? He was the only disciple to walk on water. <laughs> Hallelujah. He stepped out and did the impossible at the command of Christ. I want you to see this, though. He said, Lord, if it's you, get this in your spirit. Command me to come to you. Anything God commands, he empowers. I was talking about this last night around dinner in the back after the service. Anything God commands, he empowers. So you understand, as, as we're Pentecostal people, and if you're not, you can be by the end of the night. <laughs> if you, as Pentecostal people, we believe in the power of God. You know, we lay our hands on the sick and expect them to recover. Why? Because the Bible says it. The Bible says it. Lay your hands on the sick. They shall lay their hands on the sick and they shall recover. Well, there's nothing special about a hand and a head. You know, that's why sinners don't understand it. The kingdom of God's made up of mysteries that people don't understand. They mock us on television, Saturday Night Live, and in the movies. You know, all these Pentecostals dancing around, putting their hands on people's heads as if they don't, because they don't understand, because they're not spiritual people. They're dead in trespasses and in sins. The things of God are foolishness unto them, the Bible says. But, the, but what, what takes place that people don't understand, there's a transfer of anointing. When you touch, when you reach out and touch, there's a transfer of God's power that goes from you into somebody else. And because God has commanded that system, he empowers that system. Amen. Acts chapter 3 says, here's the, here's the scripture that will show, show you what, exactly what I'm talking about. Because the apostles understood this concept before Paul ever even taught on the gifts of the Spirit. He never taught on it yet. He wasn't even an apostle yet. 
And if you understand this, the Bible says that they come to the temple and there's a man sitting at the gate, lame, and he was begging for alms. <laughs> I heard one preacher preaching on this. He said, the man was looking for alms and he got legs. Hallelujah. <laughs> He's begging, begging for alms. <laughs> and notice what Peter and John, Peter and John said, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have. Do you see that? Such as I have, give I thee. You know what that meant? It meant Peter and John understood in the moment. I got something in me that I can give to you. And when I give it to you, you won't need to beg anymore. You won't need to sit around lame anymore. I got something on the inside of me that can be transferred from me to you. And when it is, it'll change you from what you are now to what God wants you to be. They understood. Paul hadn't taught. See, that's the problem. Sometimes in charismatic Pentecostal circles, we've gotten so organized about all of our teaching on the things that we understand. And listen, I'm not, I'm not you know, put, pushing teaching to the side. I love teaching and preaching. But understand, sometimes we get so cerebral that people, they, they talk themselves right out of the supernatural. You know, you know what Peter and John didn't say to each other? They didn't come to this man who needed a miracle. It's like, well, well, Peter, what do you do? I only do tongues and interpretation. What about you? Well, I only have discerning of spirits and work. No, they didn't determine. Well, do you have the gifts of a healing working? I got working of miracles. What do you got? No, I only got the gift of faith today. I don't know. <laughs> I've only got prophecy working. I'm not quite sure. Let me crank it up. Hold on a second. <laughs> no, they didn't, they didn't debate about which gifts of the Spirit they had in operation. Nobody had even taught on that yet. They just knew that resurrection power is dwelling on the inside of my body. As Paul taught later, the same Spirit that raised Christ up from the dead dwells in you and quickens your mortal body. Hallelujah. Quickens. That's a King James word. We don't use that anymore. It means to startle or make alive. You know, when I came to see Brother Jordan, he came to see me the first day. He didn't say, how you doing, Brother Ted? I said, I feel quickened, brother. Hallelujah. How about you? <laughs> but that's what that means, to startle or to make alive, to quicken your mortal body. Think about that for a moment. That same spirit that went into a tomb and took a dead, decomposing man and shook him back to life. That same spirit is living in your physical body today. So if it is, the question you've got to ask, if it can raise a dead man back to life, we've got to ask ourselves, then what business do cancer cells have living in a body that's filled with a life-giving spirit? What business does COVID have living in a body that's filled with a life-giving spirit? Hallelujah. What business does diabetes have living in a body that's filled with a life-giving spirit? It's the same power that brought Jesus up out of the grave, and it's in you tonight. Can you say amen? See, the world doesn't understand these things. A prayer cloth. Nobody knows what that is. No sinners like, got a prayer cloth I can get, I get a little bit of it. No, they don't know what it is. They don't understand it. The anointing with oil. They don't get those things. The communion meal. It's a mystery. But because God commanded it, he empowers it. If God commands it, he empowers it. And the moment that Jesus spoke to Peter, he said, Lord, if it's you, command me to come unto you. 
He said, come. That one word empowered Peter to do the impossible. And Peter steps out. Think about this. And does what nobody had ever done except Jesus. Begins to walk. Now, you see him walking on the water, but it's my personal belief he was walking on the word. Walking on the word. If Jesus had never said it, would he have been able to do it? See, he was walking on the command of Christ. He was walking on the command of Christ. And as he gets out from the boat, notice what takes place. Now, this gets me stirred up. I'm just going to tell you right now, I get excited over this. Who was he looking at? He was looking at the word made flesh. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Jesus Christ is the word made flesh. And he's got a word from the word. Now look at this. He's walking on what Jesus said. And his eyes are trained on the word made flesh. As those two things are happening. What's happening again? He's walking on the command of God with his eyes on the word of God. As long as he's doing that, he's doing the impossible. But notice what begins to happen. He gets out a little bit from the boat. And the waves are rising up. I'm sure there's thunder, lightning, wind, whatever. And Peter's eyes come off of the word and start getting on the circumstances. Now his eyes are on the waves. Now his eyes, I'm sure, I'm sure he's looking back thinking, oh my goodness, I'm halfway out here. There ain't no way back. And look at this storm. And he's in the middle of a threatening situation. And the mistake he made was taking his eyes off the word. And putting them on the world. Oh, hallelujah. That's what's going on in many places in America and around the world right now. People who used to have their eyes on the word have put their eyes on the world. People that used to trust in what God said are now more trusting of a report from the CDC than they are what the Bible said thousands of years ago. And you got to keep in mind, this right here was breathed out of the mouth of God. You might want to call me old school, but I still believe this Bible is inspired and I still believe it's inerrant. I believe every word was breathed out of the mouth of the almighty God. I believe that this Bible is God. God's word to every one of his children. And there's nothing higher in the universe than the mighty word of the almighty God. I believe this before I believe any specialist at any hospital. I don't care if it's the Mayo Clinic. I don't care if it's Johns Hopkins. I don't care where they got their degree from. It could be Harvard. It could be Yale. It don't matter. I don't care how special your specialist is. He ain't more special than the Holy Ghost. I believe this word over every report of man or of the devil. Let the heathen rage. Fox News is not the word of God. CNN's not the word of God. CNBC, most Christians in America right now, they got alphabet disease. CNN, ABC, CNBC, NBC, FOX. I'm telling you the truth. Some of y'all know exactly what I'm talking about. People are so caught up in what the specialists are saying and what they they're telling us how we should feel about what's going on. You got no business telling anybody how they should feel about what's going on. I'm not 
first a citizen of America. I'm first a citizen of the kingdom of God. It is kingdom over culture, my friends. It is kingdom over culture. My allegiance is first to God and his word. That's why I told you yesterday, if it becomes illegal to preach on the things I'm preaching about, you say, well, my brother, that's a little bit of a conspiracy theory. Well, then you just travel a few hours north into Canada where they passed a law in Ontario that if you're a pastor and you even preach from Romans chapter 1 on homosexuality, the first offense is a warning from the government. The second offense is a $10,000 fine. And the third offense, they send your behind to jail. But I tell you, if they make it illegal in this country to preach the unadulterated word of God, you can find me on cell block E preaching it there. Because I'm not going to shut down or conform to the spirit of this world. I won't bow my knee to an antichrist agenda or an antichrist system. Jesus is getting ready to come back again. And before he comes, we're going to be ready to see him. And our loved ones are coming in to the kingdom in Jesus name Whew, hallelujah is it too much on a Monday night and I mean I wasn't gonna wait till Friday but he's coming he's coming and there's many that aren't ready to see him when he comes I travel into the inner cities of this nation and look at the poverty the hurt the domestic abuse the alcohol abuse drug abuse you see people strung out you see people that are just battered, busted up, and they have a need of a savior. It's heartbreaking to see how the devil has harassed an entire generation, come against them. They have no way out. They feel helpless and hopeless. And when you see people like that, that's why a lot of times I like getting in those situations. You know why? Because those broken people that are there under the tent, if we set up the tent, Got a new tent coming. Just My father just gave the other one away. It seated 1,200 people. The new tent's being built right now. It seats 2,000. We're going to take it into the inner cities of this country. You know what I like about preaching to people in the inner city that are busted, broken, hurting, addicted? Is they're not sitting there trying to dissect your theology. Well, brother, I don't know. What does the Greek actually say right there, brother? They're broken. They're hurting. They need deliverance from the one who's got them in an invisible prison. They can't get free. It's like that, that man I was told you about from Texas came marching down to the altar while I'm preaching, stood up weeping in his seat and came and belted the altar and put three packs of cigarettes on the altar and wept. He said, the Lord told me tonight as you were preaching that these things can't hang on me anymore and I've smoked three packs a day for 26 years, came back three days later, hadn't had one cigarette in three days. Power of God set him free. What are you going to do? I don't care how eloquent my message is. You can't eloquent an addiction off somebody. I don't care how many statistics I quote to you and what scholars that I bring before you tonight. It don't bring heroin out of somebody's system. It don't stop a prostitute from standing on the corner. You understand what I'm saying? It is the mighty power of the Holy Ghost that sets the captives free, which blows my mind as to why preachers in America would want to push the moving of the Holy Spirit out of their churches just so people could be more comfortable sitting in the seat. Many of them have mortgages that they can't pay and they need the behinds in the seat because they need the tithes in the bucket because they need people to not be offended but 
at that point, what's really going on? You might as well put a bull ring in the pastor's nose and let whoever has the biggest tithe check just lead them around the church and bring them right up to their little seat on the pulpit and pat their little bum and say, preach the thing I emailed you this week. And I'm telling you, we need men of God like we got in this room that will not bow their knee to the spirit of this world or to the manipulation of this system that's going on right now, but we'll stand up in power and we'll stand up in faith and declare as for me and my house we will serve the Lord hallelujah somebody shout amen Amen. that's our that's our declaration as for me and my house we will serve the Lord I like that because if you look back at what was going on there was people in the camp that wanted to serve other gods he said you can do what you want let me go ahead and just stand on this side of the camp if you want to serve other gods, you go stand over there. But as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. As for me and my house, we're going to be in church on Sunday morning and not going to travel baseball. As for me and my house, we're going to be in the house of the Lord, not at the lake fishing. Oh, you don't have to shout, but when, when, in, America, when in America, the average Christian goes to church once every five weeks. You realize the lockdown hit last year? It took five weeks before Christian's new church was canceled. Like, what are you talking about, church? I ain't been, yeah, you ain't been there. That's why you don't know. They shut that bad boy down four weeks ago. Huh? Blows my mind. And I'm just telling you right now, the, the people God's going to use in these final moments of time, he's not looking for a part-time lover. God's looking for somebody that's dedicated to his house, dedicated to his word, dedicated to his anointing, dedicated to his agenda in the earth. See, there's a big difference between a girlfriend, a fiance, and a wife. They can all love the man, but only one of them had to stand at an altar and make a covenant with that man and said, till death do us part. God ain't looking for a girlfriend. He's not looking for a fiance. He's looking for the bride of Christ. Somebody that stood at an altar and said, I don't care what goes on in this world right now. My allegiance is to the groom who is Jesus Christ, who's coming back very soon. I'm telling you, I'm so tired of seeing wishy-washy dead religious church form and fashion ain't got no power they don't have enough power to blow the fuzz off a georgia peach i'm telling you i've been to some churches and i'm wondering where is the holy ghost i've looked at their schedule 1005 we've got praise and worship starting 1015 sister sarah's going to make the announcements 1035 we've got videos and 1050 the pastor has 15 minutes to get his point across and at 11 o'clock we're out the door because i got a pot roast in the oven if it dries out like last week and I'm sure the Holy Ghost is looking at the schedule saying when's my time when can I manifest my presence when can I touch my people when can I do what I came here to do and I'm telling you we need to have a free flow of the Holy Ghost once again and throw our clocks out the back door and say God move in your churches again and drive every wicked attack out of your house Oh, hallelujah. Glory to God. See, this ain't a career. This this is a calling. So you're still young, bro. I got no plans to retire. I don't care if I'm 70. I don't care if I'm 85. I'll gum the devil to death. (laughs) You ain't going to find me somewhere eating vanilla pudding going to bed at 8 o'clock. I'll preach this thing till they have to push me out of the pulpit until Jesus comes. 
Because when you've got a calling on your life, as every one of you in this room do, an anointing from God, an anointing from heaven to break every yoke of bondage, what Jesus was anointed to do, you're anointed to do. The same works he did, you'll do also. And greater works than these. Hallelujah. Because he sent the Holy Ghost. I'm just telling you right now, there's a call for the remnant that's not going to fall away, that's not going to grow cold, that's not going to depart from the faith. People don't recognize how close we are to Jesus coming. We are there, my friends. We are there. You people wonder if we're living in the last days. I told you last night. It was the day of Pentecost that marked the beginning of the last days. Peter said it. This is that that was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, says God, I'll pour out my spirit upon all flesh. And your sons and daughters will prophesy. Hallelujah. That began the last days. We're 2,000 years down the road. And Jesus Christ is getting ready to come. I heard somebody, I got to find this article so I can keep it in my notes. But there was a guy that was interviewing Billy Graham. And he said, uh, almost mockingly, you, you've said for years, Jesus is coming soon. Do you still believe he's coming soon? Brother Graham, you've been preaching over 60 years. You've always preached you were watching for him to come. And he said, you're still watching? It was almost like a tongue-in-cheek little jab, you know. You're still watching? He's an older man. Brother Graham shook his head and said, no, I'm not watching for him anymore. Now the guy, wow, got a, got a headline now. Billy Graham, no longer watching for Jesus to come. He said, really, tell me more about it. You're not watching for him. He said, no, he's coming so close now, I'm listening for him. Hallelujah. <laughs> I'm listening for him. Because there's coming a day that the trumpet will sound. The trumpet will sound. And the Bible says that Jesus Christ will descend from heaven with a commanding shout. And the dead in Christ are going to get up out of their graves. Those of us that are alive and remain will be caught up to meet him in the air. I'm telling you, I'm not sticking around. People ask me, are you pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib? I'm getting out of here on the first thing smoking. Hallelujah. I don't care. When that trumpet sounds, I'm gone, my friend. I ain't sticking around to see what goes on afterwards. I believe that the church holds dominion over the devil. That there's no attack of the enemy that's greater than the power of God that's on the inside of you. And I'm telling you, I came to encourage you tonight with this thought. That as we keep our eyes on the word, as we walk on the word, I don't care what waves rise up. It doesn't matter what's going on in the government. doesn't matter what's going on in the economy. I'll tell you what. My cousin tweeted something last week that I thought was very interesting. He said, 2020, you had to trust God to keep you physically protected. He said, 2021, now you got to trust God to keep you financially protected. Because now that they're trying to force these things on people, we have people right in our ministry left and right. They're threatening to fire me if I don't get the vaccine. They're trying to shut my whole job down if I don't get this and get that. And, of course, you've seen the new mandates and all that. And last year we trusted God for healing. Seems like this year people are trusting God for financial provision. But I tell you it doesn't matter what you need because you serve a God who is the great provider and the great physician. There's nothing he can't do for you. There's nothing he can't provide for you. He's a God that not only loves you, he knows how to take care of you. Hallelujah. He knows how to take care of you. I tell you, you if you don't know my testimony, my daughter's sitting on the front row. Stand up, Madeline. This is my daughter, Madeline, my oldest child. She's 11, and she was uh, diagnosed at a young age. We finished doing a tent meeting in Charlotte, North Carolina, 
power of God hit. People were getting saved. We fed over a thousand people in the there in the in the in the government housing and all that. All things just to bless the community. People were touched by God's power. As we finished the meeting, she she was only two years old and she lost all strength. She was just laying around, eyes rolling in the back of her head. She was so full of energy normally, running around and playing with kids and all that left. And now she's laying there with her eyes rolling in the back of her head and she's not moving. Dad's carrying her around every single place. We couldn't understand what was going on. We got home and we took her into the hospital in Virginia Beach. Said, Doc, what's going on? He said, this doesn't look good. They kept her in the hospital and began to take blood. He came back and gave me a, a, a sad report. He said, I'm sorry to tell you this, but your daughter has a rare blood disease and she's got a heart problem. Told us two things, a heart problem and a blood disease. Then he started giving me the bad news. He said, now she'll never be able to exert her energy because her heart will have problems. She won't be able to play sports. She won't be able to run. She'll have to keep her calm. She'll have to be on heart medication and blood medication for the rest of her life. He's giving me all these reports. And you know, when you come into a battle like that, a fight like that, the devil starts talking to you almost immediately. He, uh, he starts making you feel like a failure because you're going through a fight. And here I am, the preacher, standing in the hospital with my little girl on a hospital bed, sitting there listening to the heart monitor beeping, and I'm sitting there hearing every lie of the devil that he could spew. Thought you were a man of God. Thought you were a miracle man. Thought you were an evangelist. Can't even keep your own family healed. You know, just talks to you like that. Makes you feel like a failure. Like you might as well quit everything you were doing for God. You don't have enough power to even live this life in your own family. And I got mad. I don't mind telling you. I got ticked off. Ticked off at the devil. I found my faith works some of the best times when I'm ticked off at the devil. <laughs> and I got angry about it. My wife, she's a very violent woman. She'll, she'll say... <laughs> I'm telling you, I'll be out preaching a conference somewhere, preaching a revival, and I'll get a text message from my wife. It'll just be like a, a, a gif of, of mortal combat. It'll just say, finish him. That's all it says. <laughs> I said, she's a violent woman. And <laughs> I'd hate to see the devil if he was a real person. My wife tear him up. But we got angry, my wife and I, our faith. See, you got to let your faith get offended. You see, I'm not al allowing this to be the story of my children, the story of my family. And we began to fast and pray. I'm not ashamed to tell you that I went and got a prescription. He said, what did you get? Went home and I got the olive oil out of the cupboard and came back to the hospital. <laughs> I walked in that hospital. Those nurses must have been thinking, what, what is he cooking up there? I, don't, I had a big old bottle of oil. I walked up like I had that thing like a running back in the NFL. I went straight to the room. <laughs> I went in there. We went in the room. I poured it in my wife's hand. I poured some in my hand. And we did what the Bible says. Is there any sick among you? Let them call for the elders of the church. Well, I'm an elder of the church. Hallelujah. And let them, they'll lay their hands upon them and anoint them with oil. And the prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise them up. We laid our hands on Madeline's head and we began to pray the prayer of faith. Doctors came back in. They said, we've got to do some more tests on your daughter. We've got to take more blood. I said, draw more blood. They went back to the lab. And when he came back in the room, He's now checking stuff. Now he's checking his machines in the room. I knew something was up. I didn't ask what was going on. I just let him do their thing. He said, uh, we got we to gotta take a few more tests. I said, take another test. He took more blood. They came back from the lab. Now he came back in. It's him and two other doctors. Now they got clipboards. Now they're trying to figure out something in the room. And they took one more set of tests 
went to the lab, and when they came back, it was the doctor and the other doctors with the clipboards. Now they got medical students in the room. Now they're trying to learn something from our situation. And by the time it was all done, he pulled me out. He said, I got to tell you. He said, I, I have to send her home. He said, I can't find any trace of the heart problem. I can't find any trace of the blood disease. And I can't even let her stay. I, I need the bed. I got to send her home with a clean bill of health. Hallelujah. Now she's sitting on the front row full of the power of the Holy Ghost. Healed by the anointing of Jesus Christ. And no weapon formed against you can be allowed to prosper. Can you shout amen? It is the power of the Holy Ghost we need. The power of the Holy Ghost. There's nothing greater than the mighty power of God. You know, I, I, I can't even imagine wanting to go to church and sit around in a dead service. I've been to services. I thank God for the worship we had tonight and last night, this week. I tell, I tell people, I've been to some churches, they finish the worship, you're looking for razor blades. You know what I'm talking about? It's like... It's like the worship finishes and a spirit of depression has entered the room. Thank God we didn't have that this week. <laughs> my, my dad, my, see, you got, but no matter what situation you're in, you got to obey the Lord. My dad was preaching one time, and uh, he hadn't got the mic yet. He was sitting on the platform, and, it was one, and the Lord said, run around this building right now. And he's like, Lord, this is my first time here. People don't know. They're going to think I'm a crazy evangelist. And he said, Lord said, run around the building right now. And he didn't do it. He disobeyed the voice of the Lord. He said, right when he said, Lord, people know, he said, ask me another time. A lady jumped up and took off running. And when she did, the service broke loose and a guy in the back got touched by the power of the Holy Ghost. My dad felt so convicted. He said, Lord, if you ever tell me that again, I will do it. I'll obey you with such speed. He said, I, I, doesn't matter. I'll do it. He said, that vow he made to the Lord. He said that another service came down the road. He said, I was in the deadest church you can ever imagine. It was so dead. He said, the guy was up there strumming a guitar. He said, I didn't even know you could strum a guitar that slow. <laughs> he said, the guy was just strumming that guitar and doing that. And he said, I'm sitting up there. And he said, I hear it again from the Holy Ghost. Run around this building. He said, Lord, are you serious in this service? And he said, yeah. He said, I didn't, I didn't even take one minute of hesitation that time. He jumped out of his seat and took off running around the church. Power God hit. And I mean, the place came unglued. He ran around the church and come running down the center aisle. He said he didn't realize it was one of them churches that had the center aisle that's on a decline towards the altar. <laughs> He's running. He said, I'm running. And my top half started going far faster than my bottom half. He said, and at the bottom, I tripped and fell. And then, remember, we used to always have a communion table in churches right at the front. And he said, I, I fell and slid. My head went right under the communion table, and I ripped my suit pants. <laughs> he said, but when I did, a person over on this side shouted, I can hear. It was a person that was deaf in one ear. The ear popped open by the power of the Holy Ghost, and the service began to break loose. I'll tell you, I would not want to be in dead, dry, religious church. I want to be where the power of God is moving. I want to be where the anointing is flowing. Hallelujah. When God's spirit begins to manifest, 
It drives every attack of the devil out the back door. The devil has no ability to hold on to you and to stick around harassing your family when the anointing of the Holy Ghost begins to move. And I'll tell you, one of the things that we've noticed, I, I dealt with it a little bit last night. Many times in America, we've just diagnosed things that are really attacks of the devil. And we've not looked at it as a supernatural problem. But the, the problem we're facing is many times we're trying to give up natural solutions to spiritual problems. And there's people walking around zombified today because they're dealing with a demon spirit that's been trying to attack their life. But somebody, some psychologist gave them a medication to just dull their senses. And people are walking around like the walking dead. And we're wondering why in the world aren't people being delivered? It's because many times that we've gone the, net, the natural route versus the spiritual route. We need the power of the Holy Ghost to move again. We need the anointing of the Spirit of God to touch our young people and to touch our students and to touch our grandchildren and our children. We need it in our churches again like never before. See, I've been to places, and, and thank God for them, but there's some people, they say they want revival, but you understand that people don't really truly want it if they're more interested in what time they go home or if they're interested in how loud it is or if, they, well, is there child care? Well, is there coffee in the lobby? Do they have a muffin? If they're more interested in snacks than they are the move of the Holy Ghost, you can say you want revival all day long. But when we truly want revival, we've got to sweep everything off of the calendar and say, God, touch us. We need your move. We need your power. We need need your anointing because this nation without the Lord will not survive. Can you imagine? Think about this. I'm getting ready to minister to you. Think about this. Bible says we're the salt of the earth. Before we had refrigeration technology, they would salt meat. It was a, a way for it to slow the rot of meat. That means as long as we're here, we're not stopping the degradation of the world, but we are slowing it. But do you know what's going to happen when the church of Jesus Christ is pulled off this earth and the anointing of God that's operating in the body of Christ is gone from the scene? There'll be such a quick decline into, into chaos, it will make people's heads spin. And that's why I'm telling you right now, if that power is in you to set the captives free now, don't wait. Don't wait for another day. Step out and operate in the power of God today. That's what I'm trying to explain to people all over America. If we're the salt of the earth, if we're the light of the world, don't put it under a bushel. If we've lost our saltiness, what good are we? We need to be those that are raised up as deliverers in this final hour of time. And for those that are on the edge of hell, God is sending us to reap an end time harvest of souls. That before Jesus comes, we will see the harvest come in and people change by the power of the Holy Ghost. Can you say amen?